Well, good morning. It's a delight to be, a real delight to be with you this morning uh, and to join you in worship and to open God's word with you. As uh, Pastor Jenna said, I'm, I'm with Resonate Global Mission. I was appointed this past summer as the director, and I'm here this morning with my friend and colleague, James uh, Vanderlaan. Uh, we've come from Ontario to spend a better part of this week here connecting with the classes um, in different churches and leaders and ministries here. And we just came late last night, and great to start our time here in this area with you uh, this morning. Resonate, as you know, is the mission agency of the Christian Reformed Church. So what was home missions and world missions were joined together about seven years ago. And so our work is to come alongside you to send missionaries overseas, um, to work with church planting, and to help establish churches like yours. Think about and pray about and live into what it means to live on mission locally. Um, campus chaplaincy and coffee break, all that kind of work falls under resonate. And so for me to be able to serve in this role is just a tremendous uh, privilege. And so um, we'll talk about that. You'll, hopefully at the end of the service, there'll be a, maybe a little bit of video that explains our work a little bit more. And then James will be in the hallway too, and we'll be glad to talk to you about our work. Uh, as Willoughby Church, uh, you uh, specifically support us in our pro with projects in Sierra Leone and with our colleague Naji Umran. And we're really grateful for that and uh, grateful for your partnership in those ways and more uh, with us. It's uh, also fun to see some familiar faces along the way and uh, to connect, and uh, that's always an amazing thing. Uh, the Canadian CRC stretches uh, across a great piece of geography, and yet it feels kind of small in that way. I have a brother who lives out here. I was looking forward to seeing him, and seeing him this week and told me he has COVID, so I'm not going to see him. We're going to stay healthy. So apparently that's still a thing uh, going around. Uh, Jenna told, us, told me that you've been uh, diving for the last little while into the book of Jeremiah. Uh, we're going to take a step back and flip a few pages uh, for to the book of Isaiah, or a few pages back actually to the book of Isaiah. So if you have a Bible near you or on your phone, I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 62, which is a really powerful vision of the kingdom coming. And with so much going on in our world and in the church these days, I think a very important word for us to hear and to hang on to in terms of who God is and what God is doing and will do. And so, these are such amazing words. I invite you to listen carefully to, to what God says to us here. Isaiah 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or your name or your name your land desolate. But you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, you and your land will be married. 
As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. And in these words, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give Him no rest till He establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies. And never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through. Pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, See, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. This is the word of the Lord. In my work with Resonate, I get to travel around a little bit, and in my travels, of course, hear a lot of stories about the church, and the stories are not easy. These are hard days, and these are, it's actually an extremely challenging time for the church these days. I would say, it's safe to say, that if we're going to be really honest, we're in a time of spiritual upheaval. Certainly cultural upheaval, but underneath that, spiritual upheaval. I don't know a lot about your church, but I I could probably safely say that you are not alone as a church in saying whatever church felt like before COVID doesn't feel the same now. And that story is consistent everywhere. Churches are saying... um, Over and over again, attendance feels down. People's attachment to churches change. It's harder to get volunteers. We're hearing lots of stories of pastors that are burning out. A lot of places are experiencing conflict. These are hard days. But it's not just true for church communities. As I'm talking to friends and running into people and having conversations with individual Christians, a lot of them are saying kind of similar things. For a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons, the shine seems to have come off their faith a little bit. People say, you know what, I I don't know, my passion is just not as strong as it used to be. I feel a little less engaged with my own faith community. Um, Maybe even a little bit lost these days, not sure where to go, what to do. And in a time like this, that feels a little bit like an upheaval, the temptation is to say to ourselves, how do we get back to, once, to what we once had? Remember the good old days? Remember the way things were? Remember when these programs were packed, or the nursery was full, or you know, 
We had two services and everyone came. And no one ever came to the second service. Not everyone. That was always never a thing. But, but there's always this temptation to want to go back to the way things were. I've been thinking about this quite a bit. And, uh, and, and a personal analogy kind of came to mind to me. And, and uh, it was this little thing that happened to my wife and I a while ago. We, uh, we did a, something of a home reno. And, and in part of that process, we got rid of our very old uh, coil stove that my wife always said it was just really hard to clean. And so we needed a new stove. And so we said we wanted a flat top stove. And then so we, we splurged and we bought one of these induction stoves. That somehow the magnets work and then it heats the power. It's one of these fancy stoves we got. And so we had it for a, a few days it was in. And one of the things that we love for breakfast is steel cutouts. And so it's my job to kind of do the overnight oat thing. And so one night about 10 o'clock, I was heating up some uh, water and milk. I was doing this. On, it was going to be the first time I'm kind of, one of the first times I'm cooking on this new stove. So I put the pot on the stove and I'm looking at the buttons and it has this booster heat function. And I, I thought to myself, this is amazing, because it takes always way too long to heat this up. So, so I, I push that button, and, and then uh, I'm just like, okay. So I'm, I, I turn for a minute to go get the rest of my stuff. I swear I just turn just for a few minutes, just a moment. I turn back, and literally when I look at the stove, the, 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 the lid has lifted off the pot, the milk is boiling out, and it's pouring all over this stove, all over. And so I quickly, I rushed, I pulled the pot off, I do it, and milk is everywhere. It's running off the back of, it's a flat top, has nowhere to go. So it runs off the back, off the front, off the sides. And I'm like, I gotta clean this all up before my wife you know, sees this start over. So I'm, I'm cleaning it all up. And as I'm cleaning the front of the stove, I realize milk has run not just in front of the glass of the oven, has run in between the panes of the glass of the oven. And I, there's no way I can get this out. And then my wife comes down, and I'm like, well, we have, we have a problem. Our brand new stove that we just haven't even used yet, we can't even get this clean. So, of course, she's despairing at my ineptitude. And then, so I pull it open, and... The only thing holding the stove door together are six screws. Six, that's it. So I'm like, oh, we can, surely we can fix this ourselves. So I get the screwdriver and undo the six stoves, the six screws on this door. It's spring-loaded, so she's kind of leaning on it, and I'm undoing this. And then we pull, and the whole thing kind of springs up. And there's three panes of glass. There's insulation. There's, the whole thing is pressure Anyway, it all comes apart very easily in lots of different pieces. And so I'm like, well, put a hand here, hold this together. She said, okay, I put another hand, put another hand. She's only have two hands and we're all like leaning on this thing, trying to get it together. And in that moment, my wife says, we're never going to put this thing back together. And I was thinking about that. <laughs> when we, we look, think of the time that we're in, the spiritual climate we find ourselves, what we want to think of it as a little bit is like something like a, a stove. What can we do to put this thing back together? What, what can we do to put all the pieces back in place and get it to the way it was? 
the way it's supposed to be, working and whole. And in some ways, I would want to say I have some bad news. Things will never go back to the way they were. The bad news I think that we have to be honest about and to accept is that they will never be the same. And I think we have to accept that bad news in order to be able to be in a place to receive the good news that God wants to give us. The church may never go back to the way it was. But do we believe that it can become better than it was before? In fact, we ought to know that a day is coming when it will be better. We don't know when. We don't know how. But things will get better. This is the message of the Bible. In fact, this is the message of Isaiah 62. It's a vision of the, of the future, and it's a picture of everything made better. As it says in verse 11, the Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him. I don't have time to unpack all the details of this vision. There's so much there, but the context is really important for understanding what it means. Most people would say that uh, God gave this vision to Isaiah when the Jewish people were languishing in Babylon. The Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar had been brutally defeated. He had attacked Judah, he had destroyed it, and he had taken all the leaders away into exile. So the people received this picture in a time of deep pain, a time of incredible uncertainty and anxiety. So they're far from home. They're wondering if they'll ever go back. They know that their temple is destroyed. They know that the city of Zion, Jerusalem, is destroyed. They know that their lands are destroyed. They're completely ruined as a nation. And of course, what do they wish for? They wish for the way things were. One of the most, I think, important and famous declarations of that is Psalm 137 that begins, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept when we remembered Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song when we're in a strange land? So that's what's going on behind this incredible picture. And it's into this situation that God gives them a vision with a clear message where he says to his people, I'm not going to bring back what was. What I'm going to do is a whole new thing. What a powerful message for them to hear. To these exiles who've completely lost their identity, God promises them new names. To these people who have lost their glorious city of Jerusalem, God tells them that the city of David will be restored to a glory that was even greater than what was before. To this little nation that's been scattered amongst the empires of the world, God is promising that a day is coming when all the nations will come running to them. This is what God promises to do. He doesn't say how. He doesn't say when. But he does say, I will do this. 
I will restore you. I find knowing that background really helpful. Because in those moments where when I'm wondering what's going on with the church of Jesus, I know that it isn't this bad. And even more, this was a promise for the Jewish people and and they understood this as the fulfillment of a literal city of Jerusalem. And as Christians, as we read this in light of the rest of the Bible and moving into the New Testament and the work and the ministry of Jesus, we see how this vision takes on even a more glorious and a hopeful meaning. So for us who read this now, we're not just looking forward to the restoration of the old Jerusalem, but we believe that Jesus is bringing about a new Jerusalem. A day when heaven will meet earth. Everything will be made right again. And the world will not just be put together to the way it was, but it's going to be a completely new day. And as Christians, this is what we're living towards. This is what drives us. Because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we know how the story ends. And this is what keeps us going when it feels like everything might be coming apart. We know our destination. And if that's true, then I I think it invites us to look at this vision with fresh eyes. And what's interesting to me is what's built right into this picture that God gives His people is the work that we are called to do. That we actually play a critical role in helping to bring about this hopeful future with God. There's something important for you and I to do. And what is that? Listen to verses 6 and 7 again. We read this, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. There's a really beautiful image in there. The, this idea of the watchman on the walls. And it's a really powerful picture. Christians have always understood this. It's a very powerful picture of what we call intercessory prayer. Um, Pete Gregg, who's the, he's the founder of a prayer movement called 24-7, He wrote something about this passage that really inspired me to think about this message. And in another place, he he tells a story um, of when they established their first 24-7 prayer house. It was in England. And this movement now is spread around the world, including in Canada. And by the way, they have an amazing app called Lectio 365. If you want something to revitalize your own spiritual life. I highly recommend it. Lectio 365. But Pete Gregg tells a story of early in the days of his work with 24-7 prayer. They had this prayer room and he walked into, and this prayer room was, was all set up for people to come and spend time with God and people would write stuff on the walls and notes to each other and answers to prayer and prayer requests. And he walks in one day and he sees that someone has written on the wall in bright red letters, kind of graffitied on the wall, These words, give me no rest. Give God no rest. 
And it was bright red, and he just felt like it was intense and irreverent. And it just felt like actually a little blasphemous. Who are we (laughs) to tell God to to keep on working in this way? And so he was was ready to figure out a way to kind of erase it and, and take it off. And then one of his friends came and said, don't you know this is like straight out of Scripture? <laughs> In fact, from Isaiah 62. And, and it's been kind of an inspiration of that prayer movement ever since, these words. What is the job of a watchman on the wall? The job of the watchman is to never rest. is to keep their eyes fiercely peeled for all the goings out of the city and the comings in. Now, we don't have literal watchmen in our culture anymore, but we do have people who do something similar. Almost every one of us, you know, we get up and we'll look at the apps or our phone or turn on the news and listen for the forecast for the day. We, we joke that it's the only job where you can be almost wrong, you can be wrong almost all the time and still keep your job. But when there's a big event like there was a while ago on the East Coast with a hurricane bearing down, everybody is listening to the watchmen on the news. How fierce is this going to be? Who's going to impact? What's going to happen? And we have watchmen in other areas in our culture too. People who look at overall climate trends. People who look at the financial markets. Those who pay attention to the world of geopolitics right now as we have our eyes peeled on the situation in the Middle East. We're listening to the experts, to the watchmen, trying to figure out what's going on, what might happen, how is this situation going to be resolved, who's involved in it. We, we listen to our watchmen in that way. And here in Isaiah, God says He has put watchmen on the walls. People who are listening deeply to what is going on in the spiritual realm and who are praying into it. Not in a perfunctory routine way, but who pray with conviction and passion, your kingdom come Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you pay attention to the ministry of Jesus, you'll see that he reinforces the importance of this work over and over again. Near the end of his life, as he's coming close to his time, will he be brought to the cross? He goes to visit the temple And as he goes into the temple, he sees what's going on and he rages against it. And he declares and he shouts out, my house has become a den of thieves and robbers. And he throws out all of the merchants and the money lenders. And then what does he say? My house shall be what? My house shall be a house of prayer. And throughout his ministry, he tells stories that point to the urgency of prayer. The widow that bangs on the house of the rich man until he finally answers. The story of the bridesmaids who refuse to let the lights of their lamps go out until the bridegroom returns. He celebrates the determination of the woman who had the issue of bleeding for many years, who pushes through the crowd until she can finally take hold of the tassels of of Jesus' clothing and then cry out and reach out for power for healing. The future of the church is completely dependent on prayer. Now, of course, often the the pat answer to any problems that the world faces is, well, we should pray about it. 
When we don't know what to say to someone, we tell them we'll pray for them, and sometimes we even do. But I want to suggest to you that what Isaiah is talking about here may be something stronger and fiercer than maybe the prayers that we're used to or that we've fallen into. Here's the question I've been wrestling with as I've been sitting in this text for a while. What kind of, what kind of prayer life do I need for me to be able to say with integrity, I will not rest and I will give God no rest until His kingdom comes. Until His church is renewed. Until the hearts of the children are turned towards their God. Until our community experiences the grace and the love of Jesus in fresh ways. What kind of prayer life do I need that grabs hold of that fierceness and that boldness in order to claim that. that. I think that's what we're being invited into here, friends. The second task, and I only have two this morning, don't worry, <laughs> is just as important. Listen to verse 10. It says, pass through. Pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up. Build up the highway. Remove the stones. And raise a banner for the nation. What you see here is this clear call to physical action. We become the answer to our own prayers. God calls His people to fierce, bold prayer, but then He also calls us to get off of the walls, go through the gates, and then to make things happen. If our prayer is that God is going to bring about His kingdom, then we don't just get to sit there and wait for it to happen. Our job is to then go out Build new roads, fix the broken roads, clear the blockages that are standing in the roads, and then put up the banners, put up the welcome signs for people to see. God's telling us here that He's going to build His city and He's going to draw the nations in, but we're called to prepare the way. We're called to make the city ready for that. And I have to say, as someone who is now privileged to serve in Resonate, and, and now to see the big picture of what God is doing in Resonate and in the mission of the CRC in, in North America and around the world. To me, this is a beautiful picture of what our mission is all about. And what is so unfortunate, tragic I would say, is that for so many people in our culture, when they think about the church and what the church is all about, it's actually the exact opposite of this vision. For a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons, have come to the understanding or conclusion that the church is actually about putting up obstacles and putting up barriers. They observe what they see on TV or they read about it in the news and it feels like not only roadblocks that, that keeps them from out, but actually, as they listen, they're like, why would I even want to go in? For a lot of people, because of reputation or because of experience, kind of come to a conclusion that, you know what, the church really only wants my money. 
The church is against everything that's fun. The church is full of hypocrites and full of secrets. It's kind of the spiritual reality that we're up against as we wrestle with this vision. There was an article that just went through the Associated Press over the last couple of weeks. The Toronto Star just um, posted it. That's where I saw it. And it was an article on the nuns, the rise of the nuns. Not the Catholic women in habits, but the N-O-N-E-S. This is the fastest growing spiritual group in Canada and in the U.S. Ten years ago in Canada, uh, two-thirds of Canadians would have self-identified as Christian. As of now, just over half, 52% of Canadians would say that they're Christian. And of those 52%, roughly 30-some percent of those are Catholic. And then the other, the other 25% or so would be evangelical. The, those who identify as being religious but not associated with, or being spiritual not associated with any religion has gone up from about 20% to 37%. It's the biggest spiritual category now in Canadian culture. The nun. People for whatever reason will say, I believe in God, but I'm not interested in organized religion. They've given up on church. So when I hear this vision from Isaiah of clearing the roads, of removing the obstacles, of putting up the welcome signs, I see it as what a a call to undo the damage that's been done by the church in the world. To change our reputation, but most importantly, to work at changing God's reputation in the world. What if we were known first and foremost for our incredible kindness? What if our first impulse when we entered into hard situations and conversations was to show up with compassion first? What if our lives were known and shaped by hospitality? We're known as a community where everyone is welcome and has a place. What if we were known as a community willing to go out and sit at the tables of others who may not be like us or even believe like us? We're in a time of history where I think we as Christians feel very disoriented in our world today. But I tell you, we're not the only ones. We're increasingly living in a culture where people feel disconnected and alone and anxious. There has never been a better time for the church to be the church. To be the place where the lonely find a home where they can belong. Where people who feel scared and uncertain when they watch the news about the future are welcomed into the life of Jesus and into His story of hope. I love this image of God's mission, which is not about building walls up against the world, but running through the gates from those walls into the world with love and grace 
and welcome. One of my favorite authors wrote recently, he said this. He said, I long for the day where when the world sees Christians coming, they say, the Christians are here. Yay! I love those people. (laughs) I long for that day too. I don't know how to fix the church. I certainly can't build the new Jerusalem. That's not for me to do anyways. But I can live into what God is calling me here. To go back to the stove story, um, we did, it took two hours. (laughs) We got it back together the way it was, and it works. But the stove is no better than it was before. It's exactly the same as it was built for, designed for. But me, I'm a better person. Uh, I know how to fix a stove door. (laughs) And even more, I know never to push that button again. And I've never touched it ever since. (laughs) I'm wiser. I'm a wiser person. (laughs) What if every one of us made a renewed commitment to live into what Jesus is inviting us here? And believe that God can make us into wiser, stronger, better people together. To say yes to that call. I will be a watch person on the wall. I will engage this renewed call to pray. To pray for my church. To pray for my neighbors. To pray for my co-workers and my fellow students. To pray for Jesus. To do what Jesus needs to do. And for those of us who might find ourselves a little down about our faith, God is reminding us that our spiritual life is, is not built simply around deep sermons that feed us or programs that meet our needs. We're not to depend on someone or something else to bolster our faith. We can live on our own, together, but I can own my spiritual journey in a new and a fresh way. I can be that person. I don't have to wait for somebody else. I can be that person who removes obstacles, who puts out the welcome mat. I can work hard to be that person who reflects Jesus in a way that draws other people to the heart of Jesus. Give me no rest. Let's give God no rest until His kingdom comes and His will is done here in Willoughby and on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Will you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus, for this powerful vision that gives us so much hope that you still hold this world in your hand. We are tremendously anxious by what we hear and see in the news. Of the places where there's conflict that just goes on and on and on and what we see right now in the Middle East that we know has all the potential to explode in increasingly horrific ways. And God, we can feel so hopeless in the face of this. 
And then add to that, God, the sense of cultural trends that we see around us. Who are we? And so this morning, Lord, we stand with our brothers and sisters for whom they first heard these words, scattered from their home, far from the place they loved, feeling like they were no longer a people, had no future. And you spoke these words of hope into them. Invited them to be watchmen on the walls. Invited them to be those who run through the gates and restore the way. May we hear that same clarion call for our lives. And so I pray God a blessing on this church family. Thank you for your faithfulness through all the decades that this ministry and this church has been serving you. And I pray that you will pour out your blessing on the ministry that happens inside of these walls and that moves from these walls into the community. That many will see and know and hear and experience the love and the grace of Jesus as they encounter this community and your presence in it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.